It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Welcome to A Fine Time for Healing. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your show host, Randy Fine. Today we are going to tackle a topic that is going to resonate with so many of you. So if you're listening, are you in a relationship with a narcissist or another type of emotional abuser? And you are ready to leave or getting ready to leave? Have you left your abuser and are preparing to divorce him or her? Well, divorcing a narcissist or any other type of abuser is a difficult endeavor. It's as difficult as it is to live with one, sometimes worse. If you want to not only survive but thrive, you must know the rules of the game up front. As today's special guest, Tracy Malone, narcissistic abuse coach, podcast host, host, and author of the hot off the press book, Divorcing Your Narcissist, you can't make this shit up. <laughs> she says, if you are aware, you can prepare. Um, Tracy Malone has had more relationships with narcissists than she can count. She had a narcissistic mother, siblings, aunt, husband, in-laws, friends, boyfriends. And after an intense and life-changing journey of healing, she now helps others through her coaching work. And she, Tracy is the podcast host of the Tracy Malone Narcissistic Abuse Survivor Coach Show. Now she's an author. Um, good morning, Tracy. I'm so excited to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So Tracy and I are colleagues in this work, and she just, re- as I said, she just recently published this book, Divorcing Your Narcissist. And Tracy had, she called on all the experts that she knows in this field to write blurbs in this book, and and I was honored to have written one. So Tracy, you know, we don't go into this work unless we've experienced it, and that's for the most part. So I know that you had a really tough battle about eight years ago with a husband that the judge called the most tortured case in your town's history. Um, what was that like for you going through that without any education or support? It was so hard. Um, I didn't understand anything about it. And, and I did not even know after my, you know, seven trials and all of these crazy false allegations and all kinds of, all the crazy that everyone can expect. Nobody, not the lawyer, not the therapist I was seeing for four years at that point, ever said, look up narcissist. I think he's that. You know, I didn't know why I was being accused of all these things and why are they coming at me like rabid dogs? And so I had no support. And when I would tell my friends what was happening, they they got scared. They're like, we're worried about you. You know, it just seems so like uh, they just couldn't believe me because it's not believable. Um, And so it was a very hard journey. Um, You know, it cost me three times, four times more than I actually got, which basically put me in the hole because it was not a good thing. They they got everything, the lawyers. Um, So I just didn't want people to go through this, you know, without the knowledge. It's so important. You say that you must become a warrior ready to fight a clean battle, despite their attempts to drag you and your reputation through the gutter. Um, What, you know, how can we fight a clean battle? Um, And I, I, and I don't think we can really, you know, I always say we can't fight the narcissist in their arena of control. We have to skirt around it. We have to use strategy. So I guess that's kind of what you mean, but um, they do drag your reputation through the gutter, don't they? They do that. Oh, absolutely. The false allegations I was accused of stealing money, forging that, doing that, 
I mean, it, it was just one trial after another with these crazy accusations. And, you know, that was like hitting me at the core. That's why these hurt so much for people. When they tell someone and they tell the court that you're a bad parent, um, and I didn't have that one because it was my son, not his, so he wasn't pulling that card out, but so many people do. When they attack you for the most things that you hold the most value in, and that's what they always attack because you'll defend it. Um, but, you know, it hurts your reputation and, and it hurts your soul to be called things that you're not. Yes, it does. It's very difficult. And you're right. You do want to defend it. That's, that's your natural instinct. And you can't because defending it makes you look weaker and there's nothing you can do. Um, so well, you can defend it with the truth. Whenever you have something like a false allegation of, say, you're a bad parent, you defend it with the truth. I mean, you get witnesses, you get doctors, you, you know, if they've never taken the kid to doctors or soccer, you know, you can show the court what kind of parent you are. And, and that's just one example. But there are ways that you can, like, defend yourself against the lies. Right. <clears throat> well, you, <clears throat> excuse me, you're absolutely right. And in court, yes, absolutely. You can. Um, there are ways to do that. It's just that, you know, when the average person, when friends, when other people start accusing you of stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, um, you know, you almost just can't even feed into it. But you no, say, when, yeah, when coming out of a divorce with a narcissist, we deserve a medal of honor for the pain endured. It is so painful. Yeah. And, and we don't want to scare people by telling them, yes, you are going to go through pain. Um, isn't it important to prepare people for what they're about to experience? Again, I'd rather be prepared than not. You know, again, everything was blindsided to me. And, you know, once I learned about narcissistic abuse and, and read some books on divorcing one, I was like, if I had known this then, like, I would have, A, not spent $100,000 defending myself on things that didn't matter. Of course, it mattered that I was protecting that I was not at least a thief and all these other things. But to the court, he had no proof. So, you know, I was still like a little rabid going, no, no, let me tell you, I'm not, I'm not, let me prove it. And it, and it wasted a lot of money. So, you know, it, it really does help for people to be aware of this stuff, not and also learn strategies to deal with the fear. This is things that might happen, not that they will happen. And, you know, if you have a strategy that if, you know, they leave the house, um, you, you put the electricity in your name, then they won't be able to turn it off on you in the middle of winter. It's just little <laughs> tiny things like, oh, I didn't think about that oh, yeah, I didn't know about that one. I can do that, right? Just things to protect yourself. That's what I wanted everybody to know. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point, yeah. There are little things um, <clears throat> that people really wouldn't think of because they don't expect what's coming. They don't expect yeah. it. You know, most people will say to me, well, you know, can't we just collaborate and, um, you know, and work this out between us? And, you know, because I've left before or, you know, something's happened before and, and he or she did not do this. And I said, well, you didn't file for divorce at that time. You know, it's when you actually make that divorce that the narcissist finally realizes you're not coming back. And that's yeah. when the smear campaign starts. Um, you coined or trademarked, I should say, the word <laughs> Sir Thriver. What's a, what's a Sir Thriver? Um, the Thriver is, is sort of a blend, obviously, between a thriver and a survivor, but it's, it's where you have come out the other side and you help others. It is where you are confident in who you are and your hopelessness that you had in the earlier stages becomes hopeful. Um, you see life in a different way. You believe in a future because until you reach that, you're still on the edge. Like, will I make it? Will I be okay? You know, you're, you're scared and you're hurt and, and you're fearful. So when you're a survivor, you're kind of on the other side. And what I found, as you and I have done, is we give back. We're like, hey, I don't want this to happen to you. Listen to it. You know, let me teach you what I've learned. And mm -hmm. so many people, all of the, the people that run my support group, you know, they've been my admins for 
five and a half years and they don't get paid and they were in this, you know, journey before and now they just help people. And, you know, those are the kind of people that give back or even educate the girl at Starbucks who's, you know, asking a question. Give back and share so that someone else can at least be pointed in the right direction for hope. It does. It helps tremendously. It really does when you're helping people, when you're giving back. And it, it, it is um, a, a lot – like I have a um, – a therapist who is re- recently got her master's and is now practicing. And uh, once she started working with me because she had an issue, um, she decided this is what she wants to focus on. You know, she just found it mm-hmm. so interesting and fascinating and she wanted to go in that direction. So um, it does really kind of stir you up and say, you know what, I'm going to tell somebody else, but you have to do it in a, you have to know how to do it in a way that you're not, attacking people or forcing it down their throat. Um, <clears throat> so you talk about mapping out your fears <clears throat> and planning for the fear. What do we do to map out our fears? Well, we have to actually identify it. That's what people often don't do. That the fear umbrella just encapsulates you. You, you don't even know, like, what's going to happen and, 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 you know, write it down. Write down what your fears are. I'm worried about financially taking care of myself in the future. And then think about, well, how, you know, what's the likelihood of that happening? Like, be honest with yourself. There's a bunch of questions in the book. Follow this sort of strategy and go, what are my fears? Is there truth that that fear will come true? Um, I'm a big catastrophizer. So during my divorce, I was certain I was going to be homeless and, you know, um, work in a school, sweeping the school in the middle of the night. I I (laughs) catastrophized so far, but I didn't understand, like, well, is that really going to happen, Tracy? I don't know. I'm scared, you know. And and so when you look at it and go, well, if that's my fear, what can I do to prevent that from happening? And can I make action steps? Can I say, okay, I'll work 100 hours a week. I'll do what I have to do so that that fear doesn't come true. When we face our fears, instead of hide from our fears, that's where we get the strength. It's, it's the, you know, all of us have done it where we just don't even want to come out from the covers because we're afraid and we're unsure. And that uncertainty puts us in a place of vulnerability for being fed more fear. And in a divorce, every single turn you make, they're going to throw more fears at you because your narcissist knows exactly what you're afraid of. Afraid of losing the children? I'll attack that and put her in trauma so that she can't see all the other things I'm doing during the divorce. So if you understand your fears and you understand their logic in tapping into them, but you have the the management of this fear to go, you know what, I'm going to do everything else to make this not happen. Right. It is important to understand the workings of the narcissist. And, you know, I always say they are the least creative creatures on earth. They really are just, they're so predictable in a sense. They all have uh, different ways of doing things, but basically the structure is the same. And if you can figure out the structure, if you can learn the structure, you can certainly work around it and it doesn't seem so intimidating. And it doesn't make you feel so alone. If you know, oh, of course they're going to do that, then you're like, okay, I can plan for the fact that they're going to make false allegations. And when they make the false allegations against this, I'll do that. When they make Mm -hmm. this, I'll do that. You know, again, with me being accused of stealing money, all I had to do was present the records and go, exactly where is that? (laughs) You know, (laughs) you you just sit there. But but the fear of going, oh, my God, they're calling me a thief. You know, it shuts you down. Your body goes into Mm -hmm. fight, flight, or freeze. And you don't even know, like, how to get out of bed, much less defend yourself. But when you know that it's a strategy on their part, and you just have to get through it and and work with your lawyer and and your team. I I strongly recommend everyone have a team, a financial person, you know, a a coach like us, somebody that gets it, a therapist if you're going to go with both. You know, there's so much that people can do and learn and have someone hold your hand and say, okay, they've just done this. Well, here's who you've got to call. You know, I had someone yesterday that, like, just crazy things, breaking into her home and and putting things 
in her house, and she didn't call the police. And I was like, whoa, 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 that's like a really good thing. She's like, but it's so small and minor. And, you know, I'm like, no, start the record flowing. Get it to the police. You don't, they're not asking for anyone to be arrested or for them to look this up. You're making a police report as evidence of some suspicious behaviors. And if something else happens, now you've got two. Because by the time you get to the second, like, offense in something like this, and you don't have the record of the first one, the second one doesn't hold as much juice. Once you have a pattern, you can establish so many things from that they were a liar or that they're hiding assets. If you cast the fear of doubt on the judge that this person is not telling the truth um, because you're giving them proof and evidence to their lies, they're going to see you as the organized one, and they're going to see your ex as the one who's lying. And the judges do take that into consideration. And it it really is about accumulating as much evidence as you possibly can. Um, Oh, yeah. You know, you've got to keep records. You've got to write down everything that happens, the day and the time, um, because it's too hard to remember it. And when you have this um, journal where it's all laid out, it's so much easier for a judge to be able to scan through that and see what's been going on. Um, you, you talk about 11 reasons why people stay. And, um, you know, so many of these are, are what people think. Um, I don't, it's on, actually on page 26 if you have the book. But, um, <laughs> okay, yeah, turn to page 26. Let's talk about the 11 reasons why people stay. And everybody listening can say, okay, well, that was my reason. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So. so the first one is that they had no financial means to get free. Um, that's always one of the biggest things is, is I don't have the money to divorce them or I, he makes the money. And I'm using he to be both, um, you know, they make the money and, and I just, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I, I can't do that. Or I don't have a job. If I moved out, I'd have nowhere to live, right? People stay because of religious beliefs. And often they, they stay because the kids are under 18 and they didn't want them to have a dual household. You know, in some cases, you know, having the kids half the time is something that they can't even imagine because putting the kids to the narcissistic husband um, or again, sorry, it could be a wife, um, just putting them over there, you're like, I'm better protecting them when I can see what the other one's doing. I can, I can sort of pinch it for the trouble that it's going to be caused. Um, the sacred marriage vows, for better or worse, they're like, oh, that's what I said. This is, you know, it's not so bad. Um, and even though you didn't have a perfect marriage, the unknown is terrifying. Where will I live? How will I support myself? Who will do this? You know, all of that comes into play. And, um, you know, if we get used to crumbs, it was enough. It's like, okay, well, it's not the perfect marriage, but, you know, he's good sometimes. And um, a lot of mm-hmm. people stay because the lifestyle was good. You know, they might have someone that, you know, they have a house and they have this, and if they were to get a divorce, they'd be on their own in some apartment, and that scares them. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as the last one I have is despite knowing your spouse is cheating, you thought if you kept your end of the bargain, one day they would love you again. Oh, yes. Yeah. That is that is the dream. And that's why this, this intermittent reinforcement, this giving of crumbs, is so powerful for a victim of this kind of abuse or a surf thriver, whatever, of this abuse because um, as soon as they throw the crumbs at them, they're like, oh, okay, well, maybe I don't have to go through all of this. And, but it's a tactic, right? It's just a tactic that they're using to throw you off the scent and throw you off balance. Of course. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Let's talk about uh, mapping out the the exit plan because I think that's super important. And you and I have talked about this, that the outcome is going to be much better if you plan out the beginning before you even go. Those um, people who just can't take it one more day and just run out of there, 
it's going to be a lot harder than if they stay and get some advice, learn how to do this, and then go, right? Is that, is that how you feel? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there, it's, it's a mistake. I mean, unless it is domestic violence and you're in threat of physical danger, um, right. you know, if you're in that, it's not so bad state, then you take the time to, um, you know, protect yourself, protect your children, get the documents out of the house and, you know, even prepare to leave by, you know, bringing things in and, and just ordering things and just going, I've got this set up, putting some money aside. So many people leave and then they're in a shelter. And that wasn't part of the plan because they didn't have a plan. If that is your plan, that's perfectly fine, and that's where you, you're, you know, you're going to be. But if you can make plans with friends or family, someone that's going to be able to take you in or find your own place if, if you can get to that, right? We have to understand there's so many details that if we don't have the financial records, it makes it a whole lot easier for them to lie and smear and tell you that you've done something. So pulling all that stuff together, it's got to be the first step. And again, if you don't do it and you just have to leave, then you, you're, you can pick up the pieces. Plenty of people do. But with a narcissist, it is, it is like a rabid dog coming after you. So if you can have some of this in your pocket, and even that safety plan, like in the middle of the night, if they're screaming and yelling, where are we going to go? It's instead of I'm going to a shelter or a hotel, I've got like Cousin Ann down the street or is going to take us in. I've got a plan if I need it. That's going to help you in so many ways. That's so true. So true. And you talk about, you know, um, you know, one of the things is, the credit cards, get your own credit card, try to pay down a balance and cancel the cards that you have as joint cards because <clears throat> they will charge them up and then you will be, they will stop working and you will be on the hook for the balance, right? Um, oh, yeah. And, and then, you know, uh, you, you recommend having a, get, starting a separate bank account, um, which is really good because you need to start socking away money. And some, one person actually had a really good idea <clears throat> when I was talking to them about it. They're like, you know, you can use your, when you go to the grocery store and you charge the food, you can mm-hmm. get money from that. You can actually, over, oh, yeah. you know, overcharge it, take the money out, and it's one way that they will not see it. So yeah. any way that, that you can start, book. right? Yeah. <clears throat> it's important <clears throat> that you have your own money so that they can't control you. If you escape with, you know, some money but not enough, it makes it so much easier to come back. So, you know, stashing that away, getting it from that location or, you know, again, taking it out of your debit card every time you go to the grocery store, to Walmart, you're sitting there and taking an extra 100 if you can, 20 if you can't. Get what you can so that you're building that little <laughs> nest egg. And, and having your own account is going to make it, like, opaque to them. They're not going to, like, see it. They saw a a charge to the grocery store. They didn't see that it was an extra money coming out, right? So if you're in that situation, absolutely. Yes, and and we want to get everything in order. We want to be able to just pick up and go because once you leave, if you're going to, if you're going to be the one to leave, you're not coming back. You're not going to come back. And um, it's, if you, if you think to yourself, well, this is my property and I, I can come back, once you're out of there, you're not going to want to come back to that environment. So yeah. it's important to be prepared and have everything that you really want um, ready to go. I even have something on the list that's to make sure you have things like your power of attorney, things that are in your safe, your passport, um, and, and your power of attorney is, is vital because I have actually had a client who like had an accident after they were in the middle of the divorce. She had already rewritten the power of attorney to make not her husband the power of attorney, but make her older son be the power of attorney. But she didn't clear out the old one that was in the safe. And the new one didn't say, this overrides any other previous ones with dates. So the husband, who was such a, a malignant narcissist, refused like he went to the hospital delivered them his copy which was now old 
but because the son's one wasn't, um, you know, overriding that one, he took control of her while she was in intensive care and refused to let her son visit. Um, he never visited her for the month she was almost dying, and and her son and family was not even allowed access because he held that power of attorney, and he made life-changing decisions, life, you know, like health decisions for her, but then never even came to the hospital, never cared, wanted her to die. Take those things out so that there's no old copy in the safe. You can overwrite it and write the new one, and he can't bring that to the hospital and and order your plug to be pulled. Right. What do you tell people when they say, you know, but, you know, he's not really that bad after they've told you that that they've been beaten and they're black and blue, but he's really not that bad or she's really not that bad. Um, we, they, we want to believe that this person, because in our mind, it we feel like we're throwing them under the bus. And, and generally, if you're married to a narcissist, you are a good person. You are a moral person. You are somebody with empathy and sympathy. And you're always looking out for the other person. But we really need to look out for ourselves, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. And again, that, you know, they're not that bad or it's not all the time. You know, after we have a big fight, they cuddle with me and and everything's good. You know, those are the kind of people that follow the statistics of going back seven times. Um, And so when you have that kind of person, the reality of what's going on, like to explain to them that what what's happening and why they're on your call right now, this is gaslighting. And, you know, it's almost like the doorway to the rest. And once the, the narcissist gets wind of you wanting to actually leave, this black and white thinking is deployed that you are now the evil one, the crazy one, and they have a mission to destroy you. So they have to understand that because this sort of hiatus of if it wasn't as bad is not going to last. It never lasts, and it's just going to amplify. The more you are taking, the more they take liberty in giving you more. Right. That's so true. So um, Chapter 4 is emotional processing, but you started off with my dumb ass theory. (laughs) And actually, when you sent me the book, you sent me this cute little card. One side, it says I am a survivor. But on the other side, it's like a bunny. And it's like, dumbass, be gone. You have no power here. It's really cute. So what is your dumbass theory? (laughs) Well, the dumbass theory, I named it and coined it after a little postcard my ex-husband had left at the house when he when he moved out. And I was like, yeah, this, the dumbest theory is we all have friends and family that do things that are predictable. Your, you know, dad and brother and, and family is going to hop on the couch after dinner and all take a nap. We just know that. That's what they do, right? Our friends do things. Our friends, you know, show up and, you know, go in and, Every time you're at a restaurant with them, I have a friend who literally, I will count to 10. She'll scope the bar, and then i got to go to the bathroom. I can count predictably that she will get up, go to the bar, meet that guy, and leave me sitting there. Right? That's Mm. predictable. Now, she's been my friend, this particular example, for almost 50 years. So, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, that's what she's going to do. So, again, I will always bring someone and never be at a bar with her alone, right, because I know what she's going to do. A narcissist has those predictable behaviors. And if you think of it and you just go take out the, the, the sting of it, it's almost like a, you know, a jellyfish sting every time they do something, but just be like, of course they're going to do that. Of course they're going to lie. Of course they're going to go through these you know, checklist things. They're going to call me a bad parent. They're going to call me a thief. They're gonna, of course they are. That's their strategy. So if we just think of it and just go, of course you are, dumbass. What else do you have? That can't hurt me, right? It's, it's, it really helps people. I've had clients and that little card you described, um, I, I've sent them out to all my clients during, you know, COVID and when divorces were coming on Zoom, and they would literally glue or stick the, the, the little 
card over their husband's picture on Zoom <laughs> during hearings and just be like, I just kept laughing because I saw the picture and it didn't scare me as much. Like doing something like that, other people going into courtrooms and every step towards that table at the front is like, you don't even know if your legs are, are heavy enough to get you there. You're just like, it is horrible torture. It's like the, the walk of doom. But then, you know, I just keep saying every step, dumbass, 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 of course she's going to do this. I'm prepared. You know, you can't have any power over me. And with that, it sort of deflects the hurt and the fear at that moment by kind of making levity of the fact that, of course, the dumbass is going to do it. And um, (laughs) when we expect it, it doesn't hurt as much. That's great. Oh, what a great way to do this. So now let's it's touch funny. on. Yeah, this, it's really funny. I, can't, I I think it's great that they put this up over their on their screen while they're zooming. It helps. Post it for too, though. Dumbass, be gone! You have no power here. Um, let's talk about this issue over whether or not they really loved you. This is so hard because if you're in a marriage for thirty years. And you believed that that person loved you, even though they didn't really demonstrate it. It's very hard to wrap your head around the fact that that never existed. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I say, if you really want to know if they loved you, go through a divorce with a narcissist. People that really loved you would be fair, would be generous, would be kind, Um, would take the children's needs into consideration instead of using them as weapons. And there's no clear time to see whether they loved you or not. And everybody struggles with that. Like, how could my 48-year marriage be a lie? And as they sit there and, like, really do the detective work, they do see that, you know, oh, my gosh, I was being used. And, And therefore they didn't really love me, right? It's a very hard pill to swallow. It's huge. It it like gags you as you even think about it. But it is until you actually see the truth that it was kind of a lie. You know, it felt real. There were times like that good time, bad time thing. There were times where it felt real, but it was often just an act because they, they needed you for something. They, you know, you were the mother. You were the one that took care of everything. You did all their needs and bidding. And so when you find out you're being used, it feels like, oh, my God, they didn't. But you have to sort of get to that point because everybody's going to ask, you know, how could this be a lie? So to me it's, it's an important part because everybody goes through that stage. I wanted it in the book because it's everybody's concern. Mm, it is. It is. And I think people on the outside looking in, you know, they see what is supposed to be a relationship, which is two people working towards the same goal. <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me. And um, when you are married to a narcissist, there's only one person holding up the whole, whole relationship. So it is not a relationship. And people, people on the outside figure, well, it takes two to tango, you know. So what are you doing? If he's doing this or she's doing this, what are you doing to cause that? And nobody wants to allow you your victimhood, which I think is very important to claim. And when I say that, I mean yeah. we don't want to take a victim mentality, but we have to understand we had nothing to do with this, Right. Right, and that's like the first line of the first chapter of the book is mm-hmm. understanding that you were a victim because when you understand you're a victim, you're not living, as I said, in, in victim land. Like it's if someone is attacked and beaten on the street, they're a victim, right? If they go around for the rest of their life, oh, my God, woe is me, woe is me, then they're living in victim, right? That's the difference. We don't want them to live in victim but they have to touch it. They have to see that this isn't their fault. That's what the claiming the initial, oh, my God, I'm a victim of abuse is. And when you have that, then you open the door and you close, you open the door to, to, to the new world, but you also close the door on, on the hope that they'll get better. A lot mm-hmm. of people hold on to that hope that, oh, no, it'll, it'll, they'll get better. It, it'll be mm-hmm. fine. It's just one of those things. We've had them before. It'll all go back, Right. And, and until you see, oh, my gosh, this was done to me, 
you're holding on to that hope that they'll change, that the good person's going to come back, that Jekyll and Hyde. It's just a it's just a phase. So when you go, oh my gosh, and it, and you're a victim, and it's happened seven times. You just keep going back. You keep going back. It hasn't changed. Then you are empowered to get out of living in victim. So. When, yes. when we don't understand it, we do live in victim. Like, why is this happening? What, why, why are they doing this? Oh, my God. That's how I was during my entire divorce. I didn't right. understand. So knowing I was a victim really put my mindset in a different place. But, again, I didn't know that till right. after my divorce. Right. In hindsight, yeah, it's really hard to see it. It's so hard to see it, especially when no one else can see it, you know. Uh, you've been, you know, you've been looking at this. Uh, this has been an illusion in your life, but nobody else can even see the ups and downs of what you've been through. So um, you begin to question yourself. You say, um, so I like, in, you have this exercise where you list your spouse's triggers. And first you have um, to, you know, list what your possible triggers are and everything. But I like this because, we don't normally want to do this, but you say to make a list, be very honest with, with yourself, um, and you want to identify the common triggers of your soon-to-be ex-spouse. So um, why is this important? Because, no, you know, knowing what's going to trigger them is sometimes it's a stay-away zone, right? If, if this is going to trigger them to this, then they'll get even uglier. Right, and it just helps for you to have that ammunition to understand because they know your triggers, right? They know exactly what buttons to push. They know that, you know, pulling a shame card or attacking your children, whatever it is, they know what your triggers are. And if you just think they don't have any, and it's a vulnerability, right? To understand their triggers is to understand their vulnerability. And in the game of, 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 narcissistic divorce it's like you know in monopoly you got the card that gave you the the secret clue right this is a clue and you can see how when you tip into that trigger of theirs that they're going to react this way in some cases it lets you not go there going oh gosh if we go this way this is going to happen but in some ways it gives you power as well so knowing it listing it and writing it it's like know your enemy, right? If you don't even think about them and you've just got this sort of fairy tale thing to them and you don't think about their weaknesses, it's sort of like any war, you have to know what your enemy's weaknesses are. And this is what will help you understand. Oh, my gosh, yes. <clears throat> and, and you list them and it's, you know, some ideas. But, you know, we all kind of know what sets our narcissist off. And um, and that's a really good thing to think about. So, um, what do what does someone do when they do not have money because the spouse has been the one that has done everything with the money, and this person absolutely doesn't have a dime, but they need representation? What do you recommend? Well, um, on my website and on the accompanying page to the book, there is a whole resource of legal aid services, right? A lot of people end up having to represent themselves and going per se and just being their own lawyer. And if that's where you are, you can still get some advice, you know, somebody like you or me that could be guiding them instead of the $500 an hour lawyer. But there are a lot of legal services. The problem with legal services are they are not skilled enough to fight the battle with a narcissist, but in many ways it's better than nothing. But, you know, you can also borrow money from friends. And knowing what your rights are is such an important part of this lawyer part because if you are married for more than 10 years in some states, you're entitled to, to possible support for life and you know you're entitled to half of everything that you guys have maritally and so if you go I have nothing but we own this house and it's all paid off well guess what you actually have that which if you know your rights it makes it easier to go to mom and dad and say hey I'm going to get some of this money in the end you know it's inevitable I have this coming 
could you loan me money to get me through? And, you know, going to people and friends and family like that with the, the idea that, you know, I'm going to get it back and then I'll be able to pay you back makes it less fearful to, to understand what your rights are. So many people don't know that after 10 years of marriage, you're entitled to half of their Social Security when they retire and um, or, or yours, whichever is greater. But, um, again, that stay-at-home person that didn't have any savings, most lawyers won't even tell them to go after and just – and it's not go after. It's like, you know, it just gets put in the decree. Your lawyer's like, and we would like this. And the judge is going to say, that's your right. Of course you can, right? But that gives you peace of mind when you're worrying about the cost of a lawyer. And, and lawyers are crazy expensive. So it, it, it brings on and takes some of the fear off to know that I have a way to pay for it and that I can pay back my mom or my friend. So true. So true. And, you know, even in the beginning – you can sort of, you know, because you can do consultations with attorneys and you can sort of pick their brains during that consultation and get some information, ask questions, get some information during that consultation that may really help you um, <clears throat> not only to choose the, the attorney that's best for you, but to um, learn a little bit about what your rights are. Because it's so confusing when you're going through this process or thinking about going through this process. Your brain is scrambled. You don't know where to start, which is why this book is so important because you walk everybody through the process. So they don't have to feel like they're, you know, like they're just out there with no support. This book is a great support system. Um, <clears throat> let's, what about, um, so, Let's talk about how you, um, how someone would really protect themselves, their personal safety, their privacy, um, you know, social media, things like that. Okay. Uh, sure. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, so the first thing to do is, is on social media, for example, is to block, not just unfriend all of the people that you're unsure of. So maybe, again, if you're the woman and you're friends with your old best man, but they're allies to your spouse, then cut the cord. You know, sister-in-laws, family members, you do not want to be connected to any of them. Even if you're still sort of friends with them, you don't want them knowing what's going on. You don't want them, you know, seeing that you, you know, tagged a photo and you're here and there, they can use things against you. So clean that up and not just unfriend, because if you unfriend, they can still peek at your wall if you haven't got your settings correct. So if even if they've blocked you, people are like, oh, no, don't worry, he blocked me. I'm like, yeah, but guess what? All he has to do is unblock you, take a peek, and then block you again, and you've just given him, you know, your new car or whatever. They're going to get mm-hmm. the hotel. And so if you double block them, they can't open that door when they want to. And I've had that happen with many clients where, you know, they were putting things up to their friends and they thought they were safe. But, you know, the flying monkeys that get deployed are the family members, the, the, the maid of honor, the your friends. And, and they may just be getting the information from your narc that I'm so worried about Tracy, you know, like, could you just tell me how she's doing? And your friends fall into the, you know, the trap of becoming, you know, someone that's going to do the bidding of the narcissist because they've done it in such a I care way. So protecting that is absolutely essential when it comes to social media and, you know, even going a little bit more dark than you would or, you know, if you want to share things with specific people, choosing, you know, a group of friends and just share it to that rather than a public wall, and um, that will help a lot. The other things that you want to protect yourself against are, um, you know, just your house, you know, getting, making sure that you have security in your house, and, and if you don't have an alarm, um, you know, can you get a camera that just, you know, like the woman I talked about a few minutes ago who whose house was broken into yesterday, if she had had some kind of nest-like camera by her front door, they'd have evidence and somebody would be going to jail today. So those things really help. 
And if you do have an alarm, this is a mistake I have listed in the book. It's change not only the, the, the code, the four-digit PIN, right? Don't just change that, but call the alarm company and say, you know, my ex is on this account. He should not be there. And you remove their name. And perhaps if they had their own little PIN to remove that. Because I've had people where, you know, they, they've had the alarm on, the, the spouse comes home and they can't push the buttons. They, the, the code's not working. So what happens? Wow. The alarm company calls and says, you know, we're calling. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I'm the husband and I'm carrying groceries and I hit the wrong button. And they shut the alarm off and, and he has ransacked the house, right? Wow. So if you don't remember that, this is the kind of tips. It's sort of I learned from the thousands of examples and the people that I've coached and just go, well, if this is happening, then don't forget that code thing. Everybody does. Internet security is such another thing. Like we just, okay, they're out of the house. I'm free. I'm safe. One of the things that people often forget is changing the Wi-Fi password. So many people have had the spouse sitting in the driveway late at night tapping into their network Mm -hmm. And go, you know, if you are on the same network, you can see the other computers if you've got it set a certain way. And then they go in, they read your email, they delete all the records that you have. They see your, your lawyer emails, and they know what you're up against, and they can sort of defend themselves against this. All your evidence could be destroyed because you didn't change your Wi-Fi password in the house. Wow. Yeah, it's so true. You have to think of everything. Every little mm-hmm. possible thing in your life. Examine everything. Um, we might have a caller, Tracy, so let me see. And we could take a quick question if the caller would like to ask one. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Are you, are you calling to ask a question? Hello. Hello. Good morning. Yes. Are you calling to ask you... a question? No, I was just actually listening in, but I'm glad you all put me on. I just want to say hello to both of you all. I was just listening in, learning, uh, okay. learning what, awesome. what not to do, I guess. Yes, awesome. Okay, I'm going to put you back on hold. We have mo- much more to tell you. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, there it, and bugging and tracking, these are things that they do. Oh. They put trackers on the car. They bug the house. You know, all mm-hmm. of, you, you know, you'll be you'll realize that you had a conversation with your attorney and now your ex is texting you something with identical information and you're like wait a minute how is that possible mm-hmm. are they psychic <laughs> oh yeah no, no. But then tracking things on your computer again you can take it into somewhere and ask to see if there's any spyware on it and that I recommend right away. Just get it into, like Staples will have a service that you could just take it in and go, what's on this computer? And there's a lot of other companies that can, like, find out if there's bugs in your house. So as much as that sounds like the extreme, I would say 20% of the cases go that direction. Like, you just hear the stories and, you know, from car trackers to, like, this is a simple one. But if you're still on the same phone plan because you're not divorced and you can't afford to start a new phone plan yet, turn off tracking services. <laughs> People just don't even think of that. But mm. they know, and they'll know that you were at this lawyer, and they go, oh, you were at that lawyer. And you're like, well, how did they know that? That could have just been the tracking stuff on your phone. And so looking at all of that, again, take it into the, the, the phone store and say, do I have – if you don't know how to turn it off, you know, go in and get some help or watch a YouTube video and find out how to protect yourself. And there's so many different ways that they can spy on you that you have to know. Yes, you do. You do. I had somebody who um, every time she opened up her computer, emails were gone. Um, she couldn't find things. It was just very strange. And she went and she took her computer to um, somebody, you know, a forensic person. And the forensic person said, there's so much on here. I don't even want to touch it. (laughs) There's so many, there's so much, you know, um, tracking and, um, you know, whatever it is, interference or whatever, that I I don't 
don't even want to touch this. So they yeah. do things like that, you know, and, and they may do it before you even talk about it because, you know, narcissists mm-hmm. know at some point they're going to drive you out. They have that. So they keep in mind, they have sort of strategies that protect them should you leave. And um, so don't think that they don't. They're very, um, they're able to really plan things out. It's so, a coordinated uh, attack, right? Mm-hmm. They've been planning this for a lot longer than you have. And right. often it's not just one piece of spyware. It's, it's multiple ones. And they're, they're, you know, hidden in files. They're, they're not like an icon on your desktop. And so, you know, just look that up. I've been gathering all these resources. I haven't made the page on my website yet, but I have all these resources on how to find these things and, you know, Again, go to this kind of company and and they can help you and just all kinds of tracking information. I think we, if we don't have that and we are one that suspects that, then we need to make sure because protecting your information about the divorce or anything is vital for your survival. Yes, it certainly is. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about is your three bucket stru- strategy, crafting your story. Mm-hmm. So, how does this work? Well, um, no matter who you're telling, so when we tell our divorce story, and you can use this in so many different ways, but I'll use this as the example. But when we are, are telling our story of divorce, we get triggered. We we start to tell you know, the people at work, and we are sucked back into that moment. We're back in the trauma. And so every time we have to tell the story, we're, we're putting ourselves back in, 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 in trauma. And so we have to, like, learn who to tell the story to and what to tell them, right? There, I say create a list, a bucket list of three different buckets, your highest, bestest, closest people, but the people that you can trust you know, without question, and they'll be listening to you, right? They get everything. Then the lowest bucket are the people that are, you know, work colleagues and church people and neighbors, people that don't necessarily need it all. Because if you tell somebody at church, and I'm using this as an example, but, again, now you're triggered by telling that person, but then they go and tell 10 people, so you come to church next week, and all of a sudden you've got to repeat the story 10 times. And so coming up with a shorter story for them, they haven't earned the right to hear it. They're not on your besties or even your medium list. They don't need to hear it and to protect your own heart by coming up with this short, abbreviated, you know what, we've been together so long, it just didn't work out. Oh, no, what are you going to do? Here's your line for that is, I don't know, but I'm excited about my new life. If you had said to that person, I don't know, I'm so lost, I don't know how I'll survive. Now you've traumatized yourself, and if this person, you know, goes and tells 10 other people, again, now you're, now you're explaining it to the world, and you're being triggered 10 times. And so having that is, is better. And then in the medium bucket, these are the people that, you know, maybe they are work colleagues that are close or friends that, that you know, aren't the besties, but if they hear something and they're not supportive, it's not because they're just not supportive. People that don't understand this don't understand this. And so they're not going to have the knowledge to help you. They say dumbass things like, oh, everybody gets a divorce. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Or something unsupportive like that. It's normal for them to say things like that. They're trying to help. It's not what you need. But if they're really just not helpful, put them in the lower bucket. Don't give them any more information to use as flying debris to come out after you. Right? And again, if these people are still in contact with your ex, um, you have to make sure that they aren't getting any information. Because, again, like the example I told before where you, your friend calls up and, and your, your spouse calls them and says, you know, oh, I'm so worried about Tracy. If they're the person that comes to you with that, well, your husband's so worried about you, into the lower bucket. You just talk to him. I don't want you talking to him. And if you, they're not going to listen to that and they're, they're taking that in, they're on the list of a possible flying monkey. They're being used and they might not even know it because mm-hmm. the narcissist is cunning, right? So, okay, they, they've, crossed, they've crossed the line. 
put him in the lower bucket. You know, I'm doing okay. Yeah, there's a lot going on. You know, can we talk another time and divert the conversation to something back to them and, and, and exit the conversation? It protects you to not be triggered over and over. But having it crafted almost like an elevator speech in all the different buckets, it's going to protect you. If we don't think about it, the person walks up to you at work and you story bars, and all of a sudden you're traumatized and you can't work for the rest of the day. Mm, such good advice. Something I hear a lot and, you know, it, it, it always alarms me is, but my friends saw right through him. They hate him. They know who he is. And my parents or my sister didn't like him either. So they're mm-hmm. safe. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, what, you know, what the Sir Thriver does not understand is that they were safe. They're no longer safe because they don't have the radar. Um, right. or the sensitivity to know when they're being manipulated. And so mm-hmm. narcissists will infiltrate everything you do, your friends, your family, and try to deprive you of a, of a support um, source. You know, they, they try to take away all your support. So we can't, really? if people have recognized it before, don't, you can't count on the fact that they're not going to be manipulated and turn against you. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. I want to tell one more very quick thing that I want people to know. The most important thing I, I have in the book is something called What If They Don't Clause. I actually use the initial. And um, we always have, we get a decree and we go, yay, you know, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them at, at, at Christmas this year, they're going to get them next year. Or, you know, I've just gotten this. Uh, I, I, they have to sell a house and give me money. Like, what if they don't? The, the what if they don't is you're going back to court. And I deal with these people every single day that they're on their fifth time and they were ordered to do something like give them the sell the house and give them the money. And then they end up spending twenty thousand dollars to go back to court. It's a simple line in your decree that protects you from that happening. What if they don't? Well, if I have this in the decree, then they will be protected and I'm not going to pay legal fees if they keep taking me back to court. Oh, sorry. Are you, um, I pushed the button. Are you just putting that question on the decree or are you um, having answers to what if they don't? Yeah, no, there's, there's an actual, um, you know, thing that we had drafted by, uh, by an attorney that says um, basically each each divorce decree kind of says you know both parties will pay their legal fees blah 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 but if we add to it this one that if anyone doesn't uh, you know comply with what they've been ordered to do then that person that's not in in, in compliance is going to pay the legal fees for the other one okay right great Either so you spell it out right you have to spell it out because mm-hmm. even on on a thing like you know you get them Christmas this year and I get them next year. If you don't tell them what time Christmas starts, they will take the kid for two weeks and not give them back. I yep. use that example in the book. And so <laughs> lay out every single detail and make it narc proof because the normal decree just says every other Christmas you get them, but you have to put in stronger parenting guidelines and stronger things to protect yourself in the end. Yes. Narcissists look for holes and cracks in everything and they will use them to their benefit so i say you know dot every i cross every t make everything in writing you are so right tracy so yeah we're talking about your fabulous book divorcing your narcissist you can't make this shit up um tracy i you know i do recommend this for everyone going through this because it gives them soup to nuts it gives them blow by blow what they need to know, how they need to prepare. It's a fantastic book, and I know you worked for years on this thing. So, um, and you did a great job. Um, so if, there, if anyone is interested in purchase, how would they get that? Um, well, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's um, on Kindle. And probably at the beginning of the year, the um, Audible will be out as well. Oh, great. Great. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I just had mine done. It's, 
it really changes the perspective of the book when you listen versus read. So it's a very cool um, aspect. So that's great. Tracy, yeah. it's been so much fun having you. And thank you for your amazing, amazing um, advice and tips for those who are listening. Um, they are beyond valuable. And I'm just so grateful to have had the chance to talk to you today. Well, I'm grateful that you gave us your tips for divorcing a narcissist with the other 25 people <laughs> and to the book. It's so thing. I'm so grateful for you. Yes, you're welcome. It's, it was really nice to, it's really nice to fit, to leaf through the book and then, Oh, there's my thing. There's what I said. But, um, but anyway, well, I hope you have a wonderful holiday, a very happy new year. And um, it's just been great talking to you today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.